Good morning. How are you guys doing this morning? Good. I'm doing good. Thank you for asking. Well, we're going to be in Acts chapter 1 today. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and open up there. Acts chapter 1. We are reading one verse today. Just one verse. Um, while you're turning there, uh, some of you might know this. We are spending the summer talking through the spiritual disciplines. We spent really almost seven, eight, maybe nine months talking about the character of God, talking about the ethic of the kingdom of God. So we're spending the summer talking about these spiritual disciplines that are the way that we live in the character of God and the way that we live out the ethic of the kingdom of God. So um, last week, and the way we're doing this this summer is we're spending two weeks each on six spiritual disciplines. And each spiritual discipline, we're going to talk about what it looks like as an individual practice and then what it looks like as a corporate practice. So if you were here last week, Jonathan Sherbert talked about how service is the individual practice of spiritual discipline of mission. We serve with humility. We use our gifts to serve our family, our community, our church. And in doing so, we are formed into the likeness of Jesus. And as we are formed into the likeness of Jesus, his heart is a heart of service. He talked about this cycle that as we serve, we're formed. And as we're formed, we serve. This week, we're talking about the corporate practice of mission, which is how we as a community serve the world around us. So that's where we're headed today. We're going to read Acts chapter 1 verse 8 it says this but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth let's pray Jesus we come to you today acknowledging your presence Acknowledging your presence in your gathered community, your image in one another. Asking that you would speak to us. We are here to be formed by your word. So if there's anything that's from me, that's my perspectives or my opinions, let it be revealed so it can be forgotten and rejected. But what is from you and faithful to you, let it echo in our hearts so that we can be formed in your likeness. And as we go through today, let the name of Jesus be the name that echoes in our hearts. We love you. Amen. Are there any former emo kids in the room? Who are willing to admit it? Yeah? Okay. Anybody who wore your studded belt sideways with your band t-shirt that was like three sizes too small in high school? Yeah, that was absolutely me. Were you were you Vans? Like, you remember Osiris shoes? You remember when emo kids wore those like super tall skate shoes or the Circa shoes that had like an eight inch thick tongue on them? Like you're, one time my mom ran over my foot with the car, didn't even feel it. Those shoes were just armor. They were great. Um, for those of you who weren't emo kids, uh, let me explain this phenomenon that seems to have kind of a resurgence right now. Like when I was when I was in high school, being emo was like edgy. It seems like it's kind of normal now. Um, but there were those of us that, for whatever reason, uh, didn't feel like we necessarily fit in with the world around us. Like maybe you weren't traditionally athletic. Maybe you just liked different music. Maybe you just like weren't interested in the things everybody else. Some of us chose emo. For some of us, let's say emo chose us, you know. Um, 
I, emo chose me. <laughs> I didn't choose it. Um, so you, you start trying to be different, you know? You start wearing a lot of black. Maybe you bought a sweatband that had your favorite band on it. I definitely had one of those. Um, like I said, you start wearing your studded belts sideways. You ever notice how all the kids that are trying to be different have like a uniform that we all wear, right? We all, you remember the first time you went in a Hot Topic and you were like, I found my people. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I felt anyway. Um, but, but once again, for those of you that weren't emo kids, there were those of us, we, we felt different. You know, we, we felt like we were unique in some way, like we didn't necessarily fit in with the rest of the world. So we started looking for a place where we could fit in. You know, we started dressing a specific way and we found a store like PacSun, back when PacSun was emo. Um, or like Hot Topic, or maybe, maybe you heard a Fallout Boy song. And you felt seen, right? Um, or you started listening to My Chemical Romance. Or maybe you were deep in the emo scene and you listened to like Brand New or Sayosin. Or, yes, yeah, I'm just like unlocking core memories for some people. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. The rest of us are having a great time. Um, but you started looking for a place where you could fit in. And you, you found other people that were different like you were. So in an attempt to be different and unique, you found people that you could be very similar to. In an attempt to differentiate yourself from the world around you, you found music that affirmed the struggles that you had and the questions that you had. Now, here's, here's why I bring up emo kids at the beginning of a sermon. Because this experience that a lot of us had, I think is, is a microcosm of humanity. All humans deal with this tension. All of us desire to be unique. We want to have something we contribute to the world. We want to have something that makes us valuable and us different. We all, in some way, look to differentiate ourselves. Maybe we stand out in sports, or we stand out with grades, or we stand out in, in the edgy things that we do. We are all looking to stand out in some unique way, to differentiate ourselves from the world around us. But we also all have this counter-pull to find affirmation, to find a community that welcomes us and loves us, to be understood. Every human being on earth deals with this unique tension to be both an individual and part of a community, to be unique and to be the same, to be the same kind of different as everybody else. This is something that's core to humanity. And that's why this summer we're talking about spiritual disciplines as an individual practice and as a community practice. Because as followers of Jesus, we're individuals. We have individual contributions and individual giftings, and we have an individual relationship with God. But that individual relationship with God is deeply linked to a community. Deeply linked to a community that has a similar calling and similar values and is pursuing the similar thing. And when we participate in the spiritual disciplines, we have an individual practice that is unique to us, but that links us to a community that doesn't just span the world today, but that spans history back to Christ as followers of Jesus have participated in these same unique things that are different but link us together. Things like service, things like mission, 
things like prayer and confession and generosity, things that are different than the world around us, but that link us together as a called out community, as the church is called in scripture. So here's what I wanna tell you this morning about the corporate spiritual discipline of mission. If you're taking notes, I would recommend writing this down. This is the big idea today. A community of individuals that meets spiritual and physical needs in the world around us is a community that witnesses Jesus. One more time. A community of individuals that meets spiritual and physical needs in the world around us is a community that witnesses Jesus. I want to ask you another question. Have you ever seen need in the world and it made you uncomfortable? Another way to ask that is, have you ever seen one of those commercials that's got like a war-torn village and there's a kid crying so you change the channel and then felt bad for changing the channel a couple minutes later? I've done that. Or maybe it was puppies, you know, maybe it was like Sarah McLaughlin singing a sad love song about puppies or something like that. And you're like, I just don't have the emotional capacity to deal with this right now. I'm going to change the channel. And then you never go back and watch it later because you feel bad, right? Have you ever, have you ever had a friend that maybe like finally started talking about their spiritual hopelessness? or lack of purpose. Like they, they finally start talking about how they don't know what to believe and they feel lost and it makes you uncomfortable because you want to know what to say. You feel like you're supposed to say something but you have no idea what to say and you don't want to say the wrong thing. But you don't want to change the subject because that would be weird so you just sit there silent and you feel relief when finally you start talking about sports again. Or maybe you had a friend who finally uh, acknowledged that they've got, they struggle with mental illness or they finally went on medication and you know that you want to be there for them. You know you need to be there for them, but you just don't know how. You don't know how to empathize with that and you want to be present. You don't want them to feel weird about it, but you don't know how to talk about it and you don't know what to say. So you wind up really wanting to help, but just not being able to do anything about it. Or have you ever... Uh, been driving maybe on Woodruff Road and you see somebody with a sign and you you want to do something about it but you also don't know what they're going to do with the money and all you've got is cash and you don't have anything else in your car and you're, 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 you want to do something you want to help but you don't know if that's actually going to help or if it's going to hurt so you just don't make eye contact. Need is uncomfortable especially when you see it for the first time especially when you encounter real need, spiritual or physical need for the first time. It is a destabilizing experience. You know, two weeks ago, Anthony Houston and I were in Guatemala and we rode a truck up a horrifying road to a village, to a place where we brought food to people that wouldn't have had it if we hadn't brought it with us. You know, I've spent time in India. I've been leading mission trips to New Orleans for a long time and there's this thing that happens almost every time you go in some sort of missional way to another place and it's you see real need for the first time and it is destabilizing. It's uncomfortable. Whether it's under a bridge 
in a tent city in New Orleans when you see what people are willing to do to stay alive. Or whether it's uh, the first time you go into a slum village in India and you see that people have built their houses out of the leftovers from a construction site. Or you go in Guatemala up a horrifying mountain road in the back of a truck to a village where there used to be a coffee farm or a mine or some sort of, some sort of industry there so the people went there but the industry failed and the people were stuck. And you see this need and you want to look away. It's really hard to keep looking at it. You fight this urge to want to be done as fast as you can because you don't know how to deal with this, this need. It, it's uncomfortable and it leads to this very natural human question that is, God, how in the world could you have let this happen to them? How in the world could you have let this keep going. That happens almost every time to almost every person that encounters real, tangible need, the type of need that you know you can't do anything about for the first time. And I've been going on mission trips since I was in high school, and verses like this seem like they give us a solution. You are to be my witnesses. We'll go tell them about Jesus. And then if you grew up in church like me, you've heard probably 15 or 20 really hype sermons that make you want to like sell all your belongings based on verses like this. But when you go to a, a place where there's real need and you start to think about witnessing Jesus, at least for me, I start to wonder if what I've witnessed Jesus do is really going to mean anything to the people in this place. I mean, I've witnessed Jesus bring me joy when I've been sad, but I haven't experienced depression like some people that I know. How is my, what is my witness? I mean, Jesus has provided for me when I've needed, Jesus has provided financially for me, but I have never looked at the end of my food supply and wondered where food was going to come from. How, how is what I witness going to do anything for this group of people? See, it's, it's really natural to read this verse, and this is how I've read this verse for most of my life, as if it's looking backward and then speaking forward. You look backwards, Jesus, this verse is Jesus at the very end of his life on earth before he goes up into heaven. It's the last thing he says to his disciples, and it seems natural for us to read this as if Jesus is saying, you will be my witnesses. Tell them what you saw me do. Tell them about the miracles. Tell them about my death and resurrection. Tell them what you saw me do. So we read it as if we look back into the past and then we witness out into the future. And that can leave us with this uncomfortable tension between what we've seen and what we see. What we have known and what we are now confronted with. It leaves us with this very normal human question God, how could you let this happen to them? How could you let this happen to me? Now this morning, I cannot and am not going to give you a trivial answer to the problem of evil, which is, what, which is something Christians have been wrestling with for 2,000 years. 
Um, it is a significant question. Um, there are, it is worth knowing, there are good, academically sound, compelling arguments for how we can say God is justified in his action in the world. Those arguments make a lot of logical sense, but they don't make you feel any better. We can, we can see how the math adds up, but it doesn't do anything about the way we feel when we encounter need. It doesn't make us feel better in a moment of injustice to know there might be some sort of cosmic justice involved. But there's one thing that I've realized that I think brings just a little bit of relief to that question. And it's that maybe we don't have to read this verse backward to forward. Maybe this verse isn't just about looking back at what Jesus did and telling someone about that. Maybe this verse has just as much to do with seeing Jesus in the need around you. Maybe we don't just go to the world to tell them about the Jesus we saw. Maybe we go to the world to tell them about the Jesus we see. Maybe we witness Jesus everywhere we go. The, the answer that doesn't answer every facet of the question, but the only answer that has brought me relief is the reality that when I say, God, why could you let this happen to me or why could you let this happen to them? God's answer is, I didn't let it happen to them. I let it happen to us. Colossians says, Christ is in all things and all things hold together in him. There has never been a need that has been experienced on earth that Jesus didn't suffer with us. There has never been a moment of depression that God observed but didn't feel. There has never been a hunger pain that Jesus is unfamiliar with, and not just in the past, not just in his ability to empathize from, from, from having been human on earth, but in his presence with us now, there has never been an injustice that he was not also subjected to. When we look at need in the world, we don't just look at it happening to someone. We look into the eyes of Jesus feeling the need. Jesus in Matthew 25 told this disconcerting, destabilizing story about need and about how we serve. And he said this statement that just has, sticks in my stomach. He said that whatever you do to the least of these brothers of mine, you do to me. He said, when you clothe the naked, when you feed the poor, when you visit a prisoner, when you do these things, you do these things to me. You don't just do them to a person, you do these things to me. Because when you go to witness to Jesus, you don't just tell people what you saw, you tell them what you see, because you see Jesus in the slum in India, building a home out of... Leftovers, and you see Jesus wondering where the next food is going to come from. And listen, this is why mission is a spiritual discipline. Listen, this, this sermon is not to make us feel guilty. I'm not going to give you some sort of call to missions at the end of this. This is not designed to use shame and guilt to motivate us to get on a plane and go somewhere. The idea here is that mission is a spiritual discipline. And the way it's a spiritual discipline is because when we engage in mission, we don't just see a mission. We see Jesus in the mission. 
We see Jesus there. And whenever we encounter Jesus in a real and authentic and uncomfortable way, it is formative to our hearts. If you remember a few weeks ago, we said spiritual disciplines are a physical practice that creates space for inner, for spiritual formation. It's a physical practice that opens the door for inner work in our lives. So when we go on mission and when we go with humility and when we look need in the eyes, it opens our hearts to encounter the real authentic Jesus in a way that we cannot do. Do you want to know how to look at need without looking away? You choose to see Jesus in the need. It's easy to look on Jesus in worship. It's hard to look on Jesus in need. But he is in both places. This is how mission forms us as a community. Because a community that meets spiritual and physical needs in the world around us is a community that witnesses Jesus. That community can tell the world about a Jesus that was slain and rose again and is the hope of that world because that community is not looking away from the needs they see. That community is not staying silent about the depression and mental illness and anxiety. That community is not pretending like the poverty doesn't exist. And that community is also not pretending like we can fix it with a one-week trip overseas. That community is choosing to look at the need and see Jesus there and encounter Jesus there and trust that somehow in the meeting of Jesus, that also leads to the meeting of needs. Not that we ignore the need and spiritualize the moment, but that when our hearts are formed, we become people who meet needs. Now there's, there's another issue here, and it's that you might be thinking, because this is what I would be thinking and have been thinking, and it's that, okay, well, if I see Jesus in my friend who's struggling with mental illness, and if I see Jesus in uh, my own struggles, and if I see Jesus in the world around me and in, in poverty and in hunger and in human trafficking, I see him there, then that's, that's great and that's formative, but that, what, I can't do anything about it. Like, well, why, I still can't fix it. I still, I can't feed the hungry people in the world. I'm only one person. I don't have access to these resources. But this is why it is a community discipline. This is why it's not just an individual practice, but it's a corporate practice. Because here's the thing. I can't deal with depression and anxiety in Greenville, but we as a community through things like generosity and tithing and mission together can create a space where anybody has access to counseling through Chelsea, our staff counselor, without cost being an issue. We can actually do something about the issue together because we are a community witnessing Jesus. When we come together witnessing Jesus, it multiplies the impact because the Holy Spirit unites us and empowers us into mission. I can't do a whole lot about poverty around the world, but we might be able to dig a well or build a church or come together to build a long-term commitment to a village somewhere that needs human resources and empowerment and business development and all the things that we can do together as a community to fix the long-term need, not just meet the short-term problem. 
we can do that together. That's why it's a community discipline. That's why every spiritual discipline has an individual practice and a community practice. I'm a unique individual with something to contribute, and I contribute that through my community of people pursuing the mission of God together because I can't do much about it on my own, but we witness Jesus together. We are a community of individuals meeting spiritual and physical needs. And by doing so, we witness Jesus. We both witness to Jesus. We tell the world of Jesus. And we witness what Jesus is doing in the world. The most beautiful and relieving thing you can do in participating in mission is realize that wherever you go in the world, you don't bring Jesus with you, you see him there. (laughs) Because he was already there already working, tilling the soil, preparing hearts, creating space for the work of the gospel. We meet Jesus in the work. We don't carry him with us. We go as his witnesses to observe and see what he did and what he is doing. And to, in the witnessing, see who he is more and more. So as we As we close today, the invitation or the response that each of us deal with is how can I witness Jesus in the mission? Is there a way for me to encounter Christ through participating with my community? And I said this isn't a call to missions. We're not going to ask anybody to sell, like, we're not trying to, like, guilt anybody into going anywhere or doing anything. Um... We do have ways to participate in those trips and things like that. We have a missions training trip in New Orleans um, that is an option for you to go participate with your community and encounter need for the first time, not as guilt, not out of guilt, not out of shame, but out of seeing Jesus. We're in the process of developing a long-term partnership in Guatemala so that we can meet genuine needs. Next year, we're planning to send a team. So... As participating in the spiritual discipline, there are options. We're having our first chapel service in the juvenile detention centers on July 16th. We have um, Anthony Houston again doing homeless ministry. You can join in homeless ministry in Charlotte and Greenville through community. We can come together to witness Jesus and participate in the mission. There are ways to do that. And if there is a way that's on your heart... If there's a way God's uniquely empowered or called you to make an impact in the world around you, then come talk to us. Let's brainstorm how we can get together as a community and pursue that together. Because we want to be a community of people witnessing Jesus in our city, in Judea, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We want to be a community of people witnessing Jesus in Greenville, across the country, and across the world. In doing so, we will be formed into his likeness. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you invite us into mission, but that you meet us in mission. We thank you that guilt and shame is not a motivator in your kingdom. We thank you that we do not go out of some sort of savior complex or self-aggrandizement. But we go to meet you and to see you there 
and to partner with what you are doing in our community and in the world around us. So teach us to be a community on mission because mission forms us into your likeness as individuals and as people. Teach us to be a community pursuing you and seeing you and witnessing you, not just what you did. May our stories of Jesus not just be stories of what happened long ago, but they may, may they be stories of what we have seen in the world around us today. We love you, Jesus.